how could I get what was in my head into the farmer's head? Because if, if only they saw the world like I saw the world, and if only they saw the problem like I saw the problem, then surely they'd do what I thought was the right thing. I, I, and that was a, not the start of my journey, but it was a significant step. And I now sort of see it as a different style. It's more about taking a leadership role rather yeah. than a teaching role. Welcome to the MacVet podcast the show that talks about communication, cows and coffee. My name is Fiona McGilvery, and today I'm talking to Owen Atkinson, Director of Dairy Veterinary Consultancy Limited. Owen, welcome to the show. Morning, Fiona. It's a pleasure to be an honour to be, to be interviewed mm-hmm. today. Well, I know we often chat about communication, cows and coffee, off the record so I thought it's about time we uh, we recorded it <laughs> I guess so those three c's they're kind of they're, they're kind of my bag in some respects that's what I thought you are in my opinion the pioneer of, of communication in our uh, not, field not really pioneer. <laughs> I'm going to start by asking you if you could describe what it is that you do oh I'm not very good at answering this question because I do find it quite difficult to explain Partly because of the variety of what mm-hmm. I do. So I'm a vet. Um, I'm a dairy vet. My business is called Dairy Veterinary Consultancy, which kind of is what it says on the tin. But I'm kind of unusual, prob- probably because there's not many vets, farm vets doing kind of what I do. So I was in practice for many years um, and now I'm not. So for the past 10 years, I've been doing my consultancy work. I work by myself. Um, in a one-man band, I tend to do a lot of training within the dairy sector. So that might be for other vets, it might be for farmers, or it might be for industries such as um, milk buyers or um, uh, feed manufacturers. Um, you name it. You know, people in the dairy industry. But I also sort of do other little projects. So kind of as the years have gone by, I've sort of got involved with communication and training projects um largely so for example developing the healthy feet program which is one of the first programs i got involved with um milkshaw which is a more recent one um yeah there's a flavor fiona of the kind of things i do fantastic so you've it, it sounds as though being a vet being a dairy vet is still something you would say as the first well, obviously, it was the first thing you described yourself as as being. You obviously worked in practice for quite a long time. Tell me what kind of triggered the move away from working in practice to what you are doing now, which does sound very varied and very interesting. Yes, it it wouldn't be a trigger. It was more an evolution of where my interests were taking me. So I really enjoy enjoyed being in practice. I'm quite a practical person. I quite like using my hands. So so that ticks a lot of boxes for me, the, the sort of practical element of, of of operating on cows, for example, trimming cows' feet, which I still do and I still enjoy, um, as well as the sort of, you know, the mental challenge of being a vet and working with people. And as well, of course, as uh, working with the cows. And what I guess happened and i think this happens to a lot of farm vets fiona you you may be able to share this i don't know you, <laughs> this sort of feeling mm-hmm. is after so many years i was kind of frustrated that i felt i wasn't being effective enough in 
encouraging farmers to make the changes that I felt they shouldn't be making or doing the things that I thought would help them and their farms. So the typical thing would be you find yourself saying the same thing to the same farmer year in, year out for the same problem. And, and you know, I might illustrate that with calf pneumonia. You know, the same farmers seem to suffer with calf pneumonia at the same time of the year, every single year. And you kind of find you, you might become a stuck record saying the same thing. And that really frustration, that, that frustration of not feeling like I was making a big enough difference sort of grew and grew and grew and and ultimately that led me to what I'm doing now. There was a few bits in between. Mm, yeah, I, I think, yeah, this is something we have talked about before. And I think we both have felt, have found having similar conversations with other farm vets, as you say, maybe you reach a certain time in your career uh, and it does seem to be quite a widespread or rather widely recognised frustration in the profession for sure. So how did you go about l developing your interest in sort of addressing that frustration? Um, where did that sort of start or, or what's the sort of progression or the, sorry, evolution, as you put it? Yeah, so there's a few biggish things, I think. I I became very interested in how we communicated the message. You know, I, I kind of thought, well, if 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 I'm not being effective, what else can I do? And within the practice, you know, I worked in a very progressive farm practice, great team. We all discussed different ways of communicating messages uh, and, and that meant we tried different styles, report writing, not report writing, having meetings within the practice, bringing farmers away from the farm, giving short presentations, for example, to try and um, get things across and that was successful to a degree you know working with the whole wider farm team but a lot of it was around training and at the and, and in the first instance I think that was where I thought I needed to go I needed to get better at teaching and training and that led me to apply for a Nuffield travel scholarship um, and I look back on the subject and I realized now you know 20 or nearly 20 years ago I mean when did I do Nuffield Travel Scholarship. So it was about 2009 when I did that, so not 20 years on. But I look back on the subject. The title was The Role of the Dairy Vet in Knowledge Transfer. Mm. And that illustrates where I was at at that time because I felt it was all about knowledge transfer. Mm -hmm. And I probably still felt it was about knowledge transfer. How, how you know, how how could I get what was in my head into the farmer's head? Because if, if only they saw the world like I saw the world, and if only they saw the problem like I saw the problem, then surely they'd do what I thought was the right thing. And I probably still thought that by the time I'd finished my Nuffield Travel Scholarship, uh, sort of two years later in 2010, 2011. Mm -hmm. I, I, and that was a, not the start of my journey, but it was a significant step on the way. When did you make the move into your setting up your own consultancy? And was that when you took the opportunity to really sort of devote even more time, I guess, to to learning about different styles of communication, uh, coaching, etc.? Well, I mean, to start off, I'm still learning <laughs> very much. Uh, you know, my interest is 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 still huge in in in. in in this and I now sort of see it as a different style it's more about taking a leadership role rather yeah. than a teaching role 
to help farmers make the changes for themselves and, and make the changes that they identify. So it's very much leading rather than, rather than, um, uh, so, so my style would be far less, um, directive now than, than perhaps I thought it needed to be back then. So, sorry, Fiona, to answer the question, it was 2013 when I left mm -hmm. practice and it was a big mm -hmm. decision. I was a partner in a really successful, very, um, well-regarded, um, dairy practice in Cheshire. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to, to have worked in any better other practice. I don't think there was, there, I don't think there was, or possibly even is a better practice than, than that practice. Yep. Um, I worked in a great team. Um, I had security. Um, it was a huge leap of faith really to leave that security mm -hmm. and team to start my own business and work by myself. And the reason I did it was for right or wrong, I felt that one of the things that was perhaps holding me back was the fact that as a farm vet in practice, you kind of do have a bit of baggage around you in that, in that the way perhaps other people, including farmers perceive what the vet can do. So I wanted to remove myself from the kind of typical vet role in other words someone driving around in a big truck with a load of medicines in the back mm -hmm. who responds to farmers phoning them up for help when they're in difficulties sure. um i felt that i needed to to be working as seen as a different person i i, I mm -hmm. illustrate this in a slightly different way so i guess one of the frustrations i had had at the time was that you know farmers would use dairy consultants you know, for example, Promarkite, etc. Mm -hmm. um, and they would perhaps use those for the kind of advice, holistic sort of advice for their farm, including on cow health, that I felt that I wanted to do. You know, I wanted farmers to be consulting me for more strategic stuff around farm health, not just phoning up when they were in difficulty to get them out of the emergency that they're in at the moment, whether that be a cow with an LDA or a calving or, or, or sick calves or even just a, a, a blip in fertility or, or lameness. So I felt by coming out of practice, it would, it would allow people to see me in a different context because you can't ask me now to help you with a cow with an LDA because I don't have the medicines. I don't have a, have the, the surgical kit. I'm not set up to do that. I'm just not geared up to do that. So, it kind of worked really because i think that did did allow me to market myself position myself as as a, a kind of vet offering quite a different service that's yeah that's a really interesting insight and i know you do work with a lot of vets who still work in practice now and given that that was 10 years ago from some, in some respects, I guess you could say you'd expect there to have been change in 10 years. But equally, when we look back over decades, oftentimes things don't change as much as you'd expect they would have. Do you feel farm vets would be still finding themselves in that position you described? Or do you think some farm vets feel they can stay in practice whilst delivering that more sort of consultant approach, if that even makes sense? Yeah, no, that entirely makes sense. Um, 
there's a lot of frustration. I, I know there's a lot of frustration. I, I, I really strongly sense that because I do a lot of training for vets. And one of the trainings that I do is, is herd health leadership, which is trying to help vets in practice develop those consultancy skills and develop that type of work for themselves and their, and their practices. Um, and the fact I offer that training, Fiona, means that I actually believe that you can do it in practice very successfully. Mm. It, it, probably easier now because things have changed in 10 years. Yeah. So I do see more vets doing that kind of work successfully, but I still know there's a lot of frustration because, because we all want to be in a position to prevent disease, not just treat disease. And yet the demand, the overwhelming demand on a day-to-day -day basis is for treating not for preventing mm. it's shifting it is shifting um probably i'm too impatient to wait for the <laughs> shift to happen yeah. and that's why i did what i did mm -hmm. um but yeah I, I really enjoy i really enjoy supporting vets in practice to develop that side of their work and 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 a lot of it is developing their own skills in that area um their own time management being able to market it communicate it effectively to their clients on this is what I can offer. This is what I can do. I, I live to wait. You know, I wait for the day where, when when farmers will be phoning up vet practices more and saying, "Oh, could you come and help me, please? Because I would like to reduce the amount of LDAs, left displaced organisms, uh, that I I've been getting." Or, mm. "Oh, do you think you could come and spend two hours with our team to help us with our calf health planning for the next year?" Mm -hmm. That. It does happen, and I don't think it did happen 10 years ago. It just didn't mm. happen in my practice, and then we were a progressive farm practice 10 yeah. years ago. But mm. it doesn't happen enough, Fiona, because mm -hmm. the demand is still really for vets to help farmers get themselves out of difficulties once they're in difficulties. Mm -hmm. So would it be fair to suggest that it's maybe a twofold thing? Farmers perceive vets as the fixers of problems maybe generally again this is very big generalization but equally i think from what you've suggested it could even be a sort of internal you know how i feel i present myself am i you know do i feel i'm only really capable to deliver those you know the sort of fixing the oh, routine stuff yeah totally totally i mean i don't put the blame on farmers for this at all i mean i don't put sure. blame on anyone it's just yeah. the situation, it's just, the, it's just as we are. You know, mm -hmm. the vet profession has evolved from, you know, I, I kind of think of a vet, farm vet 1.0 was James Herriot. Mm. You know, the, the, the person, and it was usually a guy who was, you know, running around the countryside and um, uh, and, and fixing sick animals and, and um, you know, doing those, all that heroic stuff. And we mm -hmm. carry that baggage. That's the baggage we carry. Mm -hmm. I think it's also the comfort zone that is for a lot of vets. You know, we go to vet school and we learn how to mend broken animals. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge part of the way we're trained. So the comfort zone for us as vets is to slip back into that role, I think. Um, and the demand is there. And of course, you know, it's very easy, isn't it, from a business point of view, is just to meet the demand. We're busy people because there's lots of sick animals and there's lots of farmers calling for our help. Mm -hmm. So in order to do that preventive work, we do have to, as vets, set our stall out differently. And that probably includes the way we charge. I mean, you know, farmers are probably put off, are not probably, they will be put off by the fact that if they charge, if they, sorry, call a vet and they want that two hour um, um, work on helping them reduce calf pneumonia next year, for example, 
if they're paying on an hourly rate and it's and it's a high hourly rate, they think, oh, well, you know, I, I don't know if I can really afford that. I could probably manage without. I can get around it in different ways. So, so we probably need to be more cute, clever as a profession mm. in the way we set our stall out, explain what it is we can offer, demonstrate the economic benefit and charge for that service. Mm-hmm. So I remember in one of our previous conversations, you were very, uh, it had really sort of transformed or changed the way you approached things, I guess, the course that you did at Aberystwyth on around coaching facilitation. And you mentioned as well about this sort of leadership uh, skills. What what would be the top or if you were to give a summary of what were the key things you learned from that course and through your ongoing training with with vets and also working with farmers? What are the sort of key attributes from that sort of leadership approach? Yeah, I mean, part of the journey still that I'm kind of on really is, you know, how do we be more effective at helping people make changes? So uh, it was an excellent course. I really enjoyed it. It was three it was three postgraduate modules, one on coaching, one on facilitation, one on leadership, agri-leadership in particular. So so um, leadership within in our cultural setting uh, and all those three courses sort of meshed into each other. And I now proudly am a owner of a uh, of a of a postgraduate certificate in change leadership, which is uh, something I display on my wall with a lot of pride, because it was a lot of work to get there. And the work yeah. was really sort of delving within myself and and working out how we all tick, uh, how I needed to change as a person, uh, what skills I needed to develop. I, I, I mean, I should say really, Fiona. I, I don't see myself as a good communicator, which is kind of where I think I come from on this. I am not naturally a good communicator. My wife is always getting cross with me <laughs> because I'm the classic person who reads the paper or or is on my phone while she's talking to me. And I don't even st- sit up and listen and, and, you know, look actively listen. And I'm also a talker, as you can probably tell now. <laughs> You know, I promised myself before this interview that I would probably only talk for 45 <laughs> seconds at a time and, and allow space for you. I thought you were being very reserved as we first started talking. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, they, they don't naturally, those two traits, not being a good listen and, and listener and talking a lot, they don't naturally lead you to be um, someone who's, who's, who's best placed, I don't think, to to act as a coach, for example, where... The magic happens when you are in listening mode because the magic happens when the other person is talking. And as a coach, your job is to is to lead people to new places of thought, to new avenues of thought by just listening and creating a non-judgmental space to be the, that listener. And, and and of course, prompting with good questions and good reflections so reflections on, on what someone's just said now that's great mm-hmm. just to you know you, you probably don't need to go on a, a coaching course to learn that but you do need to go on a coaching course or 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 spend a lot of time to practice it because it only really comes with practice yeah and sure. the, the, the one of the biggest insights for myself Fiona doing that was 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 we, because we we're practicing with each other with the other with the other uh, members of the course the other people who were doing the same training as me mm-hmm. we, we all had to take turns in being coached 
and and being the coach you know we were just practicing all the time and we're, we're real problems you know i mean not not personal not deep personal problems that you wouldn't want to share but yeah. we all have um, things that we procrastinate over or or, or whatever mm-hmm. and i i kind of realized that the magic for me was happening when i was talking and when i was being listened to and just how important that is and just 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 how powerful that is to be listened to so that was my key learning from that particular course and and yeah i mean i won't go on anymore but the the the, the whole the whole triad of, of coaching facilitation and leadership i just learned such a lot about myself and therefore about how other people work as well mm-hmm. i mean i have to say i would i feel very similar to you in that it's i feel it's always an active energy consuming process to be a better communicator and as you say to hold not hold your tongue but you know to to give someone the space to talk and just to passively without judging you know listen to what they're saying I think maybe a lot of listeners might think oh well because I'm naturally not like that I I can't become a better communicator or you know oh it's just too hard I'll, I'll try it but and I think it goes down to what do you want to get out of it? And that comes back to the point you made early on, which is reminding yourself, if I am frustrated in, by certain situations and this is a way to improve that, maybe it's reminding yourself that, OK, this is taking a lot of effort. But and I don't know if you'd agree with this. Once you sort of start to see the benefits or appreciate that someone is getting more out of your interactions that's something I found it kind of is that positive reinforcement to think okay yes it is tough I'm absolutely shattered by the end of this (laughs) potentially but at least I see it is a better way a different way of approaching conversations with people I don't know if you'd say the same oh yeah definitely positive reinforcement because um I mean, one of the, the the myths I might have held about this this kind of different style would that it would take a long time, and and sometimes farmers they they almost give you the impression that, that oh oh and just tell me what it is I need to do and I'll do it kind of thing you know they just want to give me the facts give me the facts and I'll and I'll, I'll sort it myself, so you almost kind of put into that position of, okay they just want to be told they want they want my knowledge I'll tell it, but actually in in reality that doesn't work but what does work is 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 asking some questions and listening and coaching mm-hmm. and it doesn't actually take that long it doesn't take mm-hmm. any long in fact it's quicker because you get results than mm-hmm. than telling people what they need mm-hmm. to do you just yeah. ask a few cute questions um you know for a lot of things farmers don't need to have these the same level of depth of knowledge uh, you know scientific knowledge that you might have as a vet in, in terms of how to prevent ldas um but they might need to know just a few a few important things that are very relevant to them and their farm that are going to make a difference and and how they're going to implement it because a lot of things don't happen not because of lack of knowledge but because of other reasons other things get in the way um and that's where the change leadership bit fits in so i've I've blabbed on a little bit there fiona but Mm. to pick up on what you said the positive reinforcement bit when you start when you when you start to use and get better Mm-hmm. at a coaching style um is 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 really rewarding mm-hmm. yeah and it encourages you to to do more of it and learn more about it mm-hmm. it indeed so as you said you set up your consultancy you 
you do work on your own now. Um, how would you measure success? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, gosh, on lots of different ways, really. Um, if I can sort of, you know, put a bit of bread on the table for feeding the kids, that's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't have the financial security that I had in practice because my the nature of my work is less financially secure. But I've been fortunate. I always think that every year goes by that this would be the year when I when I you know I, the the business fails for whatever reason. Covid was a big challenge because my my work is generally about travelling and meeting people face to face. But actually, it was it ended up that I've ended up with more opportunity after covid because like a lot of people i do some online training now and online work which is another string to my bow mm-hmm. um success I, i'm going to be the risk of sounding a bit corny i've got a strap line for my business and my business mm-hmm. is um dairy consultancy um making lives better for cows and the people that care for them mm-hmm. and actually that is how i measure my success is am I making life better for cows because that's really important to me because I love cows and I know we can do better with the way we keep cows um and am I making lives better for those people that care for them those people that look after them because I recognize that that there's a lot of challenges in being a farmer in working on farms and and some of those challenges are lack of time lack of resource sometimes lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. Um, but I want to make, I want to make lives better for people. I want, I, I want to make it easier for people to do the right thing by their cows. Mm-hmm. So that's how I measure my success. When I see those, when I see those triumphs for other people, when I see, when I see that things are going better on farms for the cows and for the people, and I might've had some influence on that. That's, mm-hmm. that's rewarding. Mm-hmm. No, I love that strap line. I think it beautifully puts together what you're all about, what drives you in your every day, really. It it does. I mean, it, it, it does. I mean, I live by those values, I guess. Um, it took a little while. Again, it was an evolution. It wasn't my first one. I started off dairy vendor consultancy. Uh, what was it? Excellence through knowledge and communication, which was, you know, it was good. It was a good one to start off because it, mm-hmm. it, it kind of, it, I, at that stage, I was very much, well, you know, it's not about what I know, it's how I communicate, which is equally as important, if not more important. So that was, you know, the knowledge times communication gives results mm-hmm. kind of bit. Um, but it, it was a strap line that meant probably more to me than it did to anyone else. Um, and actually, this one, I, I think, when, new one it's more than strap line it's, it's my values it's it, mm. my professional values anyway i mean i'm not all about work obviously outside cows i have a life as well but um yeah my professional values are very much about making lives better for cows and the people that look after them mm-hmm. so what's given you your uh, most satisfaction in your career so far too hard because I don't think there's anything any one thing I'm quite proud I'm proud of what I what I do of, of breaking out from the mold perhaps a little bit um mm. I really like that I like that that's brought me a certain amount of respect I think amongst my peers which which is always nice um 
like I say, that those those wins, those small wins that you, that I gain through my work is very satisfying, really satisfying. And and some of those gains are quite big. I mean, I've had some, you know, through things like the Healthy Feet program, which has been a collaborative effort. I mean, I didn't do the Healthy Feet program by myself, or I didn't start the Healthy Feet program by myself. But I mean, it, it is the predominant way in which foot health on dairy farms improves year by year in the UK. And I've had a part of that. And that's immensely satisfying. Milkshore, which is, it has, I mean, Milkshore, which is, is about responsible medicine use on dairy farms, has not by itself, because other things have happened as well, but since Milkshore came about in 2017, the the, the the failure rate, antibiotic and other medicine failure rate of, of milk of milk sold from dairy farms in Britain has halved. And that's phenomenal, the impact mm. that has had. Yep. But beyond that, I just know that vets are using medicines in, in, in different ways now and that and that and that's translating onto farm as well. Not through entirely due to milkshore, but it's been it's been pretty big, to be honest with you, in, in the influence it's had on the way farm vet dairy vets in particular are prescribing medicines on dairy farms and, oh, yeah. and, and being more responsible with it and, and just being better reducing antibiotic use but it's not it, it wasn't just about antibiotic use reduction it was about just being responsible and more professional in so many different ways mm-hmm. what well, is about that yeah mm-hmm. there you are fiona I, i've wrapped it mm-hmm. on again i'm afraid but no, i mean brilliant. when i think about those things that i can get satisfaction from they're immense and i'm very privileged and I think it's always nice and something you should do is to take the time and sort of reflect back, isn't it, it's from time to time as, as to what you've achieved. So, yeah, congratulations um, on that for sure. Um, thank you. I'm probably like most people, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, here's your opportunity. <laughs> well, that's, that's nice. Yeah. Now, you recently started running a course on stress-free cattle handling um, and I was... I really enjoyed that because I attended that earlier in the year. Tell me what were the reasons for putting that particular course together? Because I know it's a little bit different from maybe some of the other training courses you run. Um, and maybe could you give me a bit of an overview of what it's about? Yeah, I mean, so stress-free cattle handling and um, and cow flow is, is the kind of full title, which is I'm not known for my snappy short titles. <laughs> OK, yeah. Um, it's an area, cow flow is an area I've had a lot of interest in for a lot of time because it has an influence on lameness. And I've worked with some great people in through through throughout the world uh, on, on particularly that issue. So so Neil Cheston, for example, a dairy vet in New Zealand, who um, who's a bit of a, I would say, a pioneer in this area and understand how cow flow, a movement of cows and people around the farm, um, can influence foot health, lameness, in other words. Um, also, I'm a cow signals uh, guy. I've, I've done cow signals training for many years and I've done uh, training with the, the with the team um, in, in Holland. So you Driesen and, and Jan Holsen, who are the two the two people really behind cow signals. I, I know them as friends, I would say, I, not on the phone to them on a weekly basis, but they're, you know, I, I, I see them as friends not and colleagues, uh, not just um, vague acquaintances. And they themselves have had developed some training uh, around stress-free cattle handling. And then oh, I'd come across a guy who was doing stress-free cattle handling in Australia many years ago um, at a conference. So it's always been in the back of my mind. 
that this was something that we could do better at in Britain because it totally fits in with trying to make cows lives better for cows and the people look, that look after them. The, 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 there was a trigger for this, Fiona, to, to, for me to sit down and think, right, I am going to develop a training program for vets to cascade all of this out wider to their farm clients. And the trigger was a, the, a, the Panorama program, which you, you, you may remember, I'm sure yep. many of your listeners might remember, um, which followed some abuses on dairy farms. And the program arguably had a um you, you know a, a, a an agenda if you like which was to um uh, not necessarily exaggerate but to um um catastrophize the abuse of of, of dairy cows in in mm-hmm. the british dairy industry you know there is an anti there's definitely an anti dairy uh faction in britain yeah. mm-hmm. and of course that kind of program played into that however I know as a farm vet, unfortunately, that bad things can happen on dairy farms. And that's often through, um, it's often through the stress of the people or lack of understanding of the people that are working with the cows. I think it's very rarely through abject cruelty, although I don't deny that abject cruelty can occur with humans. You know, human beings, some mm-hmm. human beings can be cruel or lack empathy. Mm-hmm. But I think more commonly, it's it's a lack of understanding, a lack of knowing alternative approaches. So, for example, when a cow falls over on a pla- milking platform, um, which is one of the pieces of footage on that Pranarama program, you know, alternative ways of dealing with that situation rather than just panicking, shouting at the cow and hitting her and trying to get, get her to stand back up again that was the stimulus i felt we can do better here we can do a lot better here and so that that led me to put together a a quite a comprehensive training package for vets around this whole area of stress-free cattle handling and um cow flow and give them the tools to to train other people Yeah, I really enjoy it. I think it's massively valuable. The feedback I've had from people who've done that course has been fantastic. I'd love more people to do it. It's a course that I think I struggle probably to to fill because I think most farm vets don't understand what it is they're going to learn. They probably mm. think they know it all already. You know, there's always the danger, and that, and that's very true when when talking about this subject with farmers. You know, that, that, that they might feel that it's grandma. Sorry, teaching grandma to suck eggs. You know, don't mm-hmm. tell me how to handle cattle. I've been handling cattle all my life. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. There's, there's, there's obviously going to be that. I don't think anyone, not many people, like to see themselves as someone who can learn more in this area. And yet we can all get better in this area because, well, the evidence is, is there for us, I think, is in that that there is too much stress for people and cows on mm-hmm. too many dairy farms. So so it is a course mainly designed for farm vets. And as you say, the idea is that they can then go back to practice and maybe run something around the training you've delivered or, or set up some training with maybe some of their, their own farmers. Yeah, yeah, in, in shorter. Yeah. So I kind of, I, I mean, I offer, it's a one-day training course for vets, uh, but, but the idea is that they're then enabled to offer much shorter training bites to farmers and very practical. I mean, some very practical sort of um, cattle herding kind of um, 
training modules that you can offer, which are which are applicable for every farmer, really. Um, nice little tips and and so on, but but also the bigger, more holistic picture about uh, what what makes good stock people and how can we engender better stockmanship mm-hmm. through through wider things apart from just training. But very simple things. So maybe if I illustrate that with a point, you know. Some of our human interactions with cows are, are not always that pleasant, and, and that's particularly true for vets. So if you're a vet, you know, when you interact with a cow, it's often to put your hand up her backside or it's to operate on her um, or it's to carve her um, or it's to treat her when she's feeling sick. Now, all of those things are, are, are you know, important tasks and for the benefit of the cow. But for the cow's perspective at that particular time, it's probably not a very nice intervention. For example, having a cow, uh, sorry, having either the vet's arm up your backside. Mm-hmm. But if you think, well, every human interaction with the cow is an opportunity to be a positive interaction, how can we improve our positive interactions and just work on a simple ratio, a little bit like how you, you need for every criticism you give a person, you might need to give seven compliments for every potentially negative interaction that you have with a cow you've got to have seven positive interactions to make up for it so just looking at things like that very practical things and how can you have those positive interactions and that's through petting cows and it's through talking to them nicely and and taking opportunity for example during milking when farmers see cows twice a day to make sure that is always a positive interaction for the cow mm-hmm. well as i say i really enjoyed the course i love the structure i know you're always immaculate in your creation of your training programs the delivery the construction so from from my point of view i would definitely recommend uh oh, all farm best really to kind. go on that course for sure immaculate yeah. is a strong word <laughs> uh, i've had a coffee this morning so i'm feeling strong <laughs> verbose that's very kind that's yeah. very kind now owen where would you say you see yourself in the next five to ten years oh i haven't a clue <laughs> um i i don't know i i suspect i'll be carrying on doing what i'm doing this is the longest i've been in any one job actually my own business dairy consultancy is 10 years Uh, no i I tell a lie when i was in practice at my previous practice lambert lenemay i was there for 11 years um but i'm 10 years in and i really enjoy what i do still so i think i'll be continuing to do what i do i'm not looking for anything else at the moment where that's unusual for me i'm a restless character i tend mm-hmm. to be in a job for a couple of years and i think oh what's next what's next and yeah. i think this is for the first time i've been 10 years into really a, a job and not felt what's next what's next because because i just enjoy what i do so much so yeah if i'm doing it exactly the same as i'm doing now in five ten years time i a little bit of training a little bit of consultancy here there uh, a little bit of involved with projects particularly knowledge transfer projects um second opinion work mm-hmm. um working with farmers and vets that would be fantastic it sounds like you've got a lovely balance uh, and, and certainly knowing you over those 10 years i know it's you know it, it's been a progression as you say an evolution but I, it's lovely to see you where you are now with uh yeah with something that clearly makes you very happy so it's good yeah good to see. yeah thank you fiona i mean uh, it doesn't always feel like a lovely balance i'm a one-man band which means that um work yeah. is sometimes like bosses you know it's either famine fa- feast or famine i, I can't delegate to other people mm-hmm. um I, 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 yeah i have to work away sometimes because i'm too busy as well so so um 
that 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 flow of different projects and different work is sometimes difficult to manage but but no i really enjoy it because it because it brings me variety it because sure. it brings me a lot of variety mm-hmm. right well i i already know well i i assume i know your coffee habits <laughs> <laughs> americano no milk <laughs> yeah that's not very supportive of the dairy industry is it but no i do like my i do like my coffee black i drink a lot of milk but i like to have yep. my milk just as milk and yep. then <laughs> and then yeah black americano yeah, that's yeah. Right. no I've, I've uh i was speaking to amy jackson a few weeks ago and she's exactly the same is that um, right oh good amy. yeah absolutely yeah uh, and what would you say now you're allowed more than one but favorite cattle breed well, Jersey. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I'm a Jersey cow fan. Uh, I, my granddad was a dairy farmer. He had Jersey herd. Mm-hmm. Um, by the time I came along, I, you know, when I was born, there was only three or four left. There's the pet ones, but I remember those. And uh, and then later in life, this this makes you sound really old, Fiona, but we actually had a Jersey house cow. Now, so I'm intrigued by this. I, I've got visions of the ban- Banshees of Inshirin. <laughs> Well, we had a Jersey house cow called Buttercup, who we, yeah, we milked just for us. Yeah. Uh, she oh. gave more milk than we, I mean, my mum used to make butter from her milk as well, which always tasted really rancid, unfortunately. Sorry, mum. <laughs> but, um, uh, and we used to fight over the milk because it was all cream, you know, two thirds of the bottle was Ooh. cream. Um, oh, but this was, you know, unpantra- unpasteurized cow milk. I mean, it, it, it doesn't, yeah. like I say, it doesn't make me sound really old. I'm not, I was born in 1971, <laughs> but I kind of think my mum and dad, it was in the age of the good life. You know, the yep. TV programme, The Good mm-hmm. Life. And yep. my mum and dad kind of lived a little bit of that good life, kind of, well, it was a bit bigger than, than the, 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 as in they, they had a small holding or a small farm, really. Yeah. Um, so it was on a bigger scale. But we had mm-hmm. lots of animals. We had goats. And we had this Jersey house cow. <laughs> so Jersey. Nice. Uh, do I need, oh. Do I need to choose a number two? You don't need to, but I, I was being generous. Again, it must be this coffee has made me feel generous this morning if you wanted to. Yeah, I thought, you I know, maybe... you said, who my, what yeah. my two favourites? Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, I do like I do like Ayrshire's. Uh, I know you, oh, you're a fan yes. of Ayrshire's. Yes. And, you know, I mean, I like black and white cows. I mean, I like the big oh, Holsteins. I I'm, I, yep. You know, I'm not into into showing. I'm, that's never been my bag, really, that kind of side, mm-hmm. side of, 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 of dairy farming. Um, yeah. But I can appreciate, I can appreciate all cows. Yes. And, and beef cows as well. I mean, yeah, who doesn't like a, who doesn't like, not necessarily to handle, but, <laughs> but at least to look at yeah. a, a fluffy Highland cow yeah. and its fluffy teddy teddy bear like calf. I know exactly, exactly. As you say, it's 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 harsh, isn't it, to narrow it down to one favourite breed? So that's oh, why no, I'm being a little no, bit more. Jersey, I could do I could do one with Jersey. Yeah. I love their stubbornness, their unique character. Oh. Uh, yes. their hardiness in many respects they they yes. they are particularly inquisitive exactly um yeah, yeah and well i had a bond with buttercup and i'm not going to forget that <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll not go into that any further but uh, <laughs> oh bless her um now is there anything else you'd like to share that you feel our listeners would be interested to hear oh that's a very that's a very open question. In terms of it, it could go anywhere. Um, what would I like to share? Um, I think we've covered a lot of ground, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, what would I like to share? I mean, I, I am a big advocate of, of of re-examining how people communicate, as in how re-examining ourselves mm-hmm. and how we conduct ourselves, because I think that also leads to a happier uh sense of being 
for ourselves as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, I encourage anyone to sort of get interested in this whole area of, of, of communication around coaching styles. And that's that's huge. I mean, that's um, I mean, I call it cognitive behavioral coaching, which is a kind of a big, a big, a big broad brush. But it, it would include, for example, motivational interviewing, which I know you you are a, um, uh, a fan of and you've done training yourself, haven't you, Fiona, in motivational mm-hmm. interviewing? Yeah. So yeah. I yeah, there you are. That's what I'd like to share is mm-hmm. is broaden your awareness around those things. I would absolutely if, wholeheartedly. Yeah. If you endorse if that. you're. If you're a farm vet in particular, I don't know. The, the, yes. the, the listenership is going to be broad. Um, I've, probably, I've probably answered it from that perspective. But for anyone in any field of mm. work, line of work, I think having an awareness around um, these softer communication skills and cognitive behavioural coaching mm. and, um, and and start that style of leadership, which is a, a transformational style of leadership rather than a transactional style of leadership. Mm. Um, and And being interested in understanding the difference between those two for sure uh, yeah yeah for sure i think that's a a perfect place to uh to wrap up our conversation um and like you say flying the flag for that approach i would wholeheartedly endorse well owen it's been an absolute pleasure to have a conversation a formal conversation with you on this occasion <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it has and, uh, too. Thanks, Fiona. I, I mean, I hope I've not been too heavy. I, 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 we, 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 we've gone quite, I guess, a little bit academic in some areas, which I, yeah. I don't want to bore people with. It's, nice. it's my, sorry, it's my enthusiasm for the subject. Exactly. Well, that's that's why I set up the podcast, because of my enthusiasm for, for all three aspects, and I think we've covered them beautifully. So thank you for that. For thank input. you. You've been very kind. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please follow or subscribe to the show so you can join me next time when I'll be talking more about communication, cows and coffee.